so thankful for all that you've done. Remain standing and let's sing together. Oh, beautiful for spacious skies, America is our home. Let's sing together. everyone here this morning and a special thanks to all those who served our country and gave their of their time and their sacrifice and we remember those this morning too that gave the ultimate sacrifice but we gather in the name of the one who did give the ultimate sacrifice who died that we truly might live and that is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ so we come to worship in his name and for his glory so we thank you for for being with us this morning uh, we want to welcome all of you, and of course, we want to welcome those of you who might be visiting with us. And if you are visiting with us, we ask you to take a care card that's on the pew back in front of you, and just take a moment to fill that information out and put that in uh, the foyer and the boxes on the tables out there, or you can hand it to one of our staff members. Uh, we would love to get back with you, and thank you for coming and visiting Pitts Baptist Church. On the flip side of that is uh, room for a prayer request if any of you have uh, a need, a prayer request that you'd like to jot down to let our staff know, uh, we would love to, to get that and, and pray for that as well. So, uh, but regardless, thank you all for being here this morning. Just a few things by way of announcement. Uh, coming up uh, on November the 21st in the core is our Thanksgiving service. And this year we are doing a meal. And the meal starts at 5 o'clock. And it's $6 per plate. So if you wish to participate in that, why don't you go ahead and get your ticket. They are available now through November the 17th. Um, but if you're just interested in coming for the service that will follow at 6 o'clock, uh, you are welcome to do that as well. But please make your plans on uh, being here. It's always a special service uh, to hear the faithfulness and the testimony of the Lord Jesus in the lives of, uh, of our family and sharing the Lord's Supper together. So um, please make your plans to be a part of that very special service. Also coming up on uh, December the 2nd at 6.30 is our Christmas of Hope Ladies Christmas event. And it's an evening of song and merriment. 
I'm not really sure what merriment means, but <laughs> hey, you're going to have some merriment. It's got to be good, right? Hey, we're going to have some merriment. So, hey, tickets uh, are $10 uh, for the dinner and program, and it's for ages 6th grade and up, and the tickets will go on sale November the 14th and be through the 28th. So, uh, ladies, make sure that you come for that uh, very special evening together. Um, don't forget, also, we have a very um, uh, important ministry going on right now. It's our Operation Christmas Child. And if you've not had your opportunity or a chance to go get a box uh, uh, to fill, uh, you can do so. Those are available in the foyer of our sanctuary. We'll have an end gathering here on November the 14th. Uh, and then the OCC Processing Week follows November the 15th through the 22nd. And if you have some time to volunteer for that, uh, we would love for you to. Uh, and if you would like to do so, please contact uh, Shannon Gardner. Um, that's it for our announcements. Let's just turn our attention now to the word of the Lord. Listen to what Paul says in the book of Galatians in chapter 2, starting in verse 17. He says, but if, I, but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ... We, too, were found to be sinners. Is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. And gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Let's pray together. Father, we come and we thank you that you indeed died for a purpose to redeem the lost, to bring back to you sinners, enemies, to transgress your law. But through the righteousness of Christ and through his death on the cross, we are received into your family as children, as joint heirs, as the redeemed, as the reconciled, as the justified, and those who are being sanctified and one day will be glorified. And Father, all this is because of you and your plan that you loved the world that you gave your one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God, it is our prayer that everyone in this room know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And Father, we pray today that if there be one here that does not have that relationship with you, God, that your Holy Spirit would do a work in them that only he can do, bring them to faith in Christ. Lord, we thank you that we can gather together as this body of believers to worship you. And God, we ask that all that we do and say and think in this place this morning would encourage this body of believers, but more importantly, lift high the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I pray in his name. Amen.
never, ever fails. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Jonathan and choir and musicians. In honor of Veterans Day, I want to ask you to find uh, 2 Corinthians 10 in your copy of the Scripture. 2 Corinthians 10. And I want to bring a message this morning entitled, Fighting the Good Fight of Faith. Fighting the Good Fight of Faith. And as you find your place in your copy of God's Word, I, I do want to say to one of our military uh, persons here today, welcome back. I know her mom is glad for her to be back. She told me last week because I don't have to walk her dog anymore. <laughs> but uh, Miriam Lafferty, Miriam, stand a minute. I know I'm going to get the details on this wrong, but... I know I'll probably get the details wrong, maybe close, but you're only two women, at, you're only one of two women in like the past hundred years of the Coast Guard to reach the rank of Admiral. Is that true? Did I get it close? Close. So, anyway. Miriam's been on assignment and it's good to have you back. Stand for the reading of God's Word, if you would, please. 2 Corinthians 10. Also have Ephesians 6 ready to turn to. But we're going to read the chapter of 2 Corinthians 10 in its entirety. Paul says, I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am away. He's saying there what they're stating. Uh, he says, I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ... Let him remind himself that just as he is Christ, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters. For they say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak, and his speech is of no account." Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves. But when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond limits but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned us to reach even to you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you. For we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others. But our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. 
Father, this morning I pray that you would open our understanding to this chapter of Scripture. Your Holy Spirit inspired it. And so now we would pray that he would illumine our minds that we might understand it. And Father, remind us that daily as believers in a dark world that we are engaged in the greatest warfare of all. And that's the warfare that we have against our enemy. As Paul says in Ephesians 6, we don't struggle merely against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in high places. Lord, I pray that as your body of believers that we would be equipped, that we would be strong, that we would stand not in our strength, but we would stand in the strength that you offer. And Lord, that everything we do would be to your glory, that indeed the only boasting we would have would be boasting in the cross of Christ. Speak to hearts this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to listen to what the History Channel website has to say about Winston Churchill, who was a pivotal leader, of course, during the days when the Allied forces went to war against Adolf Hitler and the Nazi regime. The History Channel says it like this, and I quote, There are many sides to Sir Winston Churchill. He was an icon of the Allied war effort. A prime minister who led a nation to victory. A leader who fought fiercely against a tyrannical regime. And a man who strengthened a people with words of courage. It goes on to say in his first speech as prime minister after the retirement of Neville Chamberlain, he made the famous speech where he said, I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears, and sweat. In that speech and other speeches, he went on to say, You ask, what is our policy? I will say it is to wage war by sea, by land, and air. Without victory, there is no survival. But if we fail, then the whole world, including the United States, will sink into the abyss of a new dark age. Folks, we know that Winston Churchill was very uniquely uh, gifted to, to motivate not only his own country, the United Kingdom, but also he had a unique ability to speak beyond the shores there and to reach into the into the very world and to motivate people not only to engage in warfare against Hitler and the Nazis but to continue and persevere in that warfare until the battle was won. He issued a rousing call to arms to the world. Now this morning I want us to think of, of warfare and battling of a different nature. I want us to think of the warfare that we are engaged in as followers of Christ. I'm speaking of course of spiritual warfare. And as a believer you know what I'm talking about because you're engaged in spiritual warfare no doubt all the time. I may be speaking to somebody this morning right now. You're going through something in your life that you know beyond a shadow of a, a doubt is an attack of the enemy and you're engaged in warfare. If that doesn't describe you, well, you better suit up with God's armor and get ready because guess what? Those days are coming. You're going to experience it before it's said and done. Now, I realize it's almost an oxymoron to say Christian and war in the same sentence. And some may say those, those two words don't even belong together. But I would beg to differ if we look at the pages of Scripture. And we know that we don't use knives and guns and bombs, but folks, nevertheless, we battle. And that's what Paul is describing here and discussing. Again, some of you have experienced this. Maybe you experienced a spouse 
who was deeply resentful of you coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And they fought you almost at every turn. I've spoken to individuals in that situation before. Maybe you've engaged in spiritual warfare with a rebellious child who wanted nothing to do with your Christian faith. I may be speaking to somebody here that in your work environment you've been told that you cannot have a copy of the scripture on your desk because that would be offensive to people in your work environment. Again, some of you have faced these very kinds of battles. Now, how do we fight in situations like that? And that's what I want us to look at this morning. I want us to understand both the weapons and the attitudes that we must possess as believers if we're going to experience victory in the Lord. I hope you'll take some notes. First of all, this morning we see that God has given the Christian spiritual weapons for the war in which we are engaged as the body of Christ. Look again with me, beginning in verse 3. Paul says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Now we see in these verses here that we walk in the world, we live in the world, but we don't fight like the world. We live in the flesh, but we don't fight with weapons of the flesh. Our weapons are different. Turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 6, if you would. Ephesians chapter 6, and notice what Paul says beginning there in verse 10. He says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you might be able to withstand in the evil day. Paul's saying there, there are some days that are going to seem like they're more evil than others. And the devil has schemes. He has methods. He knows how to get at you and he knows how to get at me. And so what's Paul say? Therefore take up the whole armor of God. He says, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. Underscore that. Also having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Underline that one as well. And as shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. And to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making application for all the saints. Folks, listen at the weaponry that Paul mentions there for the believer. He mentions the belt of truth. The belt of truth, God's truth. And the belt that the Roman soldier wore, it was a wide leather belt that sort of held everything of his uniform together and it would have hooks on it that he could hang the different weapons that he needed in battle. God's given us the belt of truth with his word. And also the breastplate of righteousness, that's truth lived out. And then the sword, which is the word of God and the shield of faith. And he tells us that we're to put on all of the armor of God. And then notice what Paul mentions last. After you've put on everything, what are you to do? You're to pray. 
You're to suit up with all the armor that God gives to you and me for spiritual battle. And then we're to pray. We're to stay in communication with our commanding officer. We need his strength. We're nothing without him. And so not only do we need the proper equipment, but we need the proper attitude of prayer and dependency upon God. You know, I think of the early church in Acts chapter 4 when when, uh, Paul and John had gone up to the temple and they were arrested and then they were charged not to preach anymore in the name of Jesus. They went back to the church when they were released and they told the church what the authorities had said against them. And you remember what the whole church did? Did the whole church give up and go home? No. They went to God in prayer. And they acknowledged that God is the sovereign God of the universe who rules over everything. And with that in mind, they said, God help us not to shrink back, but give us all boldness that we might even more so now speak your word with boldness. And verse 31 says, when they had all prayed, the place where they were gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. You see the early church standing in the strength through prayer that God offers his people. I think of the saints of God in the Old Testament marching around Jericho as they marched day after day. Were were they battling that city with their own strength, with their own weapons? Absolutely not. And yet on that last day, what happened? God made sure the walls of that city collapsed and they were able to go in and assume the victory. All of those are examples in the Word of God of battling but not battling in human strength or with human weapons. Some of you fought like that. Perhaps you were engaged in a spiritual battle in your family. You pray and pray and pray for a wayward child. You see all the ups and downs that that child's going through. I remember a, a, a family in, in one of my churches one time. They had a wayward child that had gotten involved in, in not only immorality but drugs. And they, some days they did not even know where that child was. And yet they prayed and they prayed and they They prayed, and it didn't always look good, but finally they saw God bring that boy around. Spiritual battle. You see, our weapons are different. And that's what Paul is speaking of here. Now the Corinthians want to know why Paul seems so weak. The false teachers who had invaded the church at Corinth, they valued appearances. They valued what looked like power and strength. And so they've been saying to the rest of the church there, this little Paul fella, he's got no power, he's got no strength, and he's certainly very unimpressive to look at or to listen to. Do you even want to call him an apostle? And Paul is saying, My weapons are different than the weapons in the world. Because my weapons are not of the flesh. Folks, again, Christians don't fight like people of the world. We have spiritual weapons that God has given us. Now, not only these things that I mentioned out of Ephesians chapter 6, all of the armor that you're put to put on and then prayer, but notice what Paul goes on to say here in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. He talks about our thought life. Look back with me, if you would, please, to verse, to verse 5. He speaks there, he says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. You know, Paul encountered philosophies and pagan religions in the Roman and the Greek world and he understood that oftentimes... The battle for the believer was to to go to war against these belief systems. All you've got to do to see some of this is read, read his letters. Read Galatians and Colossians. I'll refer to those in a moment. 
the Roman Empire was saturated with anti-Christian thinking. And it was the same way with the Greeks. And Christians in the church all the time were engaged with their neighbors in these differing worldviews. And Paul said what we're doing is we're confronting falsehood. And we're tearing down the strongholds of these falsehoods. We're confronting these cultural beliefs that are no more than lies of the enemy. And what we're doing is we're laying biblical truth down alongside of those lies. Look at what he did with the Galatians. With the Galatians, a group had come in that said, Jesus is not enough. It's okay if you have Jesus in your life for salvation, but you still need to keep all of the law. You need to go through the rite of circumcision. You need to practice all of these things. It's a Jesus plus something else salvation. The false teachers there were saying, Jesus is good, but he's not enough. And Paul said, that's no gospel at all. That's a false gospel. And then the Colossians, they were enamored with the wisdom of this age. And Paul said to the Colossians, Do you not understand that in Christ is all of the wisdom and the treasures of God? You'll find everything that you're looking for in Him. And so in his letters, Paul would combat these false ideas. What he's describing is the warfare that you and I will so oftentimes confront in this world. It is a battle of the mind. It is a battle of worldviews. It's a battle of philosophies. And you and I need to be ready to be engaged in this warfare. We need to be able to effectively lay out the case for Christ. We've got to address people's thinking. And what do we address it with? We address it with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Amen? Bullets and guns and tanks and airplanes can't win this battle. But God's truth can. Folks, he's fighting battles with spiritual armor. And trying to tear down Satan's lies. Because remember what Jesus said about Satan? He is a liar and he's the father of lies. And he's been lying from the beginning. And so as we go against him and take every thought captive uh, for Christ. We need to realize that as the Old Testament says. This battle is won not by might nor by power. But by my spirit saith the Lord. You know, last week I gave the example of Martin Luther. What was Martin Luther doing? Martin Luther was doing exactly what Paul is talking about here. Luther didn't take swords. Sometimes I think Luther would have. But he didn't take swords. He took the sword of the Lord. The sword of the word, the scripture, and he confronted wrongs. And he used the truth of God, the word of God and prayer to take every thought captive to Christ. And he engaged in spiritual warfare against the church of that age. And God used him and others to bring about a spiritual reformation. And that's our challenge today as well. We've got to be people of the book. We've got to know God's truth that sets us free. We've got to be men and women, not only of the book, but men and women of prayer. We need to ready ourselves to engage with others in the truth of the gospel. And why the gospel is still the answer for all of the problems that our modern age faces today. But we've got to understand we are in a battle. It's a war. And we've got to prepare ourselves with the weapons of our warfare that God has supplied. Every day, taking up the sword of the Spirit, being in the Word and in prayer. It is not a waste of time. It is no more a waste of time than an army who is constantly, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, preparing all of their weaponry for 
just in case one day they get in battle. You see, when the battle day comes, you, you can't get ready then. And that's how it is with us. We've got we've to be ready every day now, knowing the battle's coming. And when, it's, when it gets here, we're ready. It's constant. It's day-to-day living out the Word, being in the Word, sharing our, our faith in Christ. But somebody wisely said the church today has got to get over its cruise ship mentality. And we've got to get in a battleship mentality. And that is so true. Folks, the battle's not done yet. We need to be faithful in our church attendance and Bible study. We need to give it the attention individually and corporately that it deserves. We need to pray for one another. We need to hold one another up in prayer that God would would strengthen our arms and strengthen our ministry. We need to share our faith. We, We need to go at it with all of the seriousness with a soldier in this world who is engaged in trench warfare. The enemy has one thing in mind. One thing in mind with you and with your family. And that is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So you need to be strong in the Lord. And put on all this armor that God gives us. The second thing I want you to see this morning. Christians must check their perspective. Look at what he begins saying in verse 7. Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ, so also are we. For even if our boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters. For they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. Paul is saying, folks, we need to look at things differently than people in the world look at things. And Paul is saying to them, you need to look at things differently than these false teachers among you are trying to say. We don't just battle differently from the world, but we look at things differently too. We have a different kind of perspective. How does the world look at things? The world looks at things by appearances. Money, power, prestige. Somebody important walks in the room and some people think they've just got to associate with that person. Somebody takes a new job maybe only on the basis of more money. Or they buy a new house only because it's a bigger home, it's a more prestigious home, and it's in a nicer neighborhood. That's just one of many ways people operate in the world. Appearances mean everything. And so there's this endless Going after things, accumulation of things, and entertainment, and on and on it goes. Well, the Corinthians looked at Paul and said, you know, some of them that is, the, the ones causing trouble, they, they said, you know, you look at his letters, and his letters are bold. And you think, man, what kind of guy is this coming to us? And then he gets here. And who's this little nerdy squirt fella? He doesn't look very impressive. He, boy, he sounds as unimpressive as he looks. Is this the same guy that's written us these bold letters? 
And what the false teachers were trying to do was get the rest of the church to judge Paul's authenticity by how he looked and how he sounded when he was in person. They were boasting about their human giftedness, their own human giftedness, and how good some of them looked up next to others and how some of of them looked so good up next to Paul. And they're trying to get people to judge by appearances. What Paul is wanting them to do is lay aside the way the world looks at things. Stop valuing what the world values. Because if you value things by what the world values, you're going to make tragic mistakes in life. I mean, just think of what Israel did when, when, they, uh, when they appointed, when, when Saul became their first king. You remember what happened? Saul walked into the company of everybody and he was a head taller than everybody else and he was a handsome fella. He must have been the proverbial tall, dark, and handsome. And when everybody saw Saul, they said, he's the one that we want to be king over us. They chose him on the basis of appearances. And I need not remind you that was disastrous for him. And then you remember when God told uh, Samuel to go and anoint one of Jesse's sons who would be king after Saul. Jesse lined all of his sons up and God said of each one, no, he's not the one. Is there another? Yeah, there's another. Parade him before. No, he's not the one either. He's not the one either. Went through all of Jesse's sons. And finally Samuel says, do you not have any other sons? Yeah, my youngest, David. I didn't even bother bringing him. I didn't think he even counted. He's out keeping the sheep. Well, go get him. When David showed up, The Lord said to Samuel, he's he's the one, anoint him. Again, people want to view by appearances. And so the lesson is, don't view things the way the world does. Change your thinking. Change your perspective. Value what God values. You know, a young person may, who's getting ready to marry somebody, they may, they may value that person or say, he's the one for me or she's the one for me based upon how attractive the person is. But are they God's person for you? Is it God's will for you to marry this person? That's what ought to matter. You want to get into business with somebody and you find out that he or she's not even a believer and still you want to get into business with that person. But the question is, does God want that? No, because God says don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. You, you get in a business with that unbeliever and probably y'all are going to be torn. You're going to want to take things in two different directions. Why does God do things like he's doing? Why does he want us to value, not as the world values, but as he values? Why will God even remove some things from you and me? Is it because he's mean? Is it because he's stingy? No. Because he knows what's best for you in the long run. He knows what's best. Do we trust him in that, folks? Do we trust him enough to say, God, whatever you want, I surrender to it. Whatever you want. Have a Christian perspective. Probably dozens and dozens of the people you and I associate with every day are in great danger of messing up their lives because they are valuing by worldly standards. We need the right perspective folks this age as we know it is passing away and all that matters is what is done for Christ and if we're in his will or not 
Let me give you another illustration of, of uh, how checking your perspective and fighting with the weapons God has given us are so important in this warfare we're engaged in. I want you to think with me a minute about an Old Testament character by the name of Daniel. God had allowed the Babylonians under Nebuchadnezzar to attack and defeat the people of Judah. God was disciplining his people for their years and years of disobedience that they'd been engaged in. And, and we certainly see a truth there, don't we? That God will judge nations. God will hold nations to account. Even his own people. Like he did uh, for both Israel and Judah both. And God through the Babylonians was judging Judah. And so Nebuchadnezzar comes in and attacks them. And Daniel and his three friends are among the young people who were captured. And I want you to notice Nebuchadnezzar's approach to winning them over and changing them into Babylonian disciples. Now don't miss what I'm saying here. There's all kinds of applications in this for today. In fact, when you see the application, you're going to understand what Solomon said in the book of Ecclesiastes. There's nothing new under the sun. But I want you to notice first of all what Nebuchadnezzar did with these young people. First of all, he changed their names. He gave them pagan names, stripped away their godly names. He's trying to strip away all of their godly heritage that they've grown up with. Everything they've learned about the true and the living God, Nebuchadnezzar is aiming to strip all of that away, signified by taking away their godly names. Secondly, he changed the curriculum. He was indoctrinating them on the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And so he's trying to completely change their education around. He's training them to know what only he wants them to know. And so he's stripping away their godly heritage and indoctrinating them on the Babylonian system. And then thirdly, I guess to make this an easier pill to swallow... He is feeding them from the government table. He's looking after all of their physical needs while he is systematically remaking these young people into something different than they had ever known. And so he's taking a group of youth from Judah and he's turning them into something else. He's changing them into Babylonians. Now, folks, if nothing else, let's give Nebuchadnezzar an A-plus for knowing how to disciple young people. This is what a corrupt nation tried to do with a group of young people who had grown up knowing and serving the true and the living God. All of that had to be changed and it had to be supplanted with something else. But I want you to notice what Daniel did. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. He kept the right perspective. He couldn't change his setting. He couldn't change his circumstances. His whole world had changed right in front of his very eyes. But he made up his mind that his perspective would not change. He knew who he belonged to. He checked his perspective and he fought with the weapons of warfare that God has given to all of his children. And in the end, Daniel prevailed. Daniel is a great study on how to prevail in an ungodly world that is seeking to change us. Am I speaking to somebody today that needs to change your perspective? You've been going after the ways of the world and you need to get back and put your eyes on Jesus and change your perspective that it appear, worldly appearances don't matter. What matters is godliness. And then the last thing I want you to see today, Christians need to boast in the right way. 
beginning there in verse 13. But I'll just read verse 17 where, it's summed, where he sums it up. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Now I know what some of you might be thinking right off. Christians don't boast. Oh yes we do if we boast in the right thing, if we boast in the Lord. Folks, we need to say, look at Jesus. I was lost, but now I'm saved. God did it all by His grace. I was a wretched sinner. I was a blind man. I was on the road to destruction, but God got a hold of me, and He changed me, and He saved me, and He opened my eyes. Glory to God. Paul says here, we're not like others. Others come to you and they boast about this or that that they're doing. Paul says the fact of the matter is a lot of people are boasting even about somebody else's labor. Somebody goes in and does the hard work of sowing. Somebody else comes along and takes the credit for what people before them have done. And that's what these false teachers were trying to do at Corinth. Paul had been the one to labor there and see a harvest. And people all over Corinth were coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Now these false teachers are coming along and they're... They're trying to take credit for what Paul has done. And they're boasting in their success among the Corinthians. And when in reality, it's Paul that had done the labor there. But Paul said, we're not like them. We don't have to boast like they boast. We're not going to boast in ourselves anyway. We're just servants of the Lord. That's all. And so we're going to boast in the Lord. If anybody boasts, let him boast in the Lord. These false teachers at Corinth were obsessed over the approval of men. And Paul spoke up again said, listen, the approval of men is not what counts anyway. What counts is whether God approves of your life. Do you have God's approval? Has God commended you? Because in the final analysis, that's all that's going to matter. When we stand before God one day, it's not going to matter a hill of beans what we say about ourselves. All, all that's going to matter when we stand be, before the judgment seat of Christ is whether or not He says, Well done, good and faithful servant. You know what, folks? We would all be better off in life if that's how we live. If that's what we pursued in life. So many people are living for the approval of men. They want to be popular. They want to have approval in the eyes of others. But again what counts is do you have success in God's eyes? Have you been faithful? Have you been faithful? If the whole world commends you and you stand before God one day and God measures your life a failure, then it's all going to be for naught. But if all of the world despises you but you stand before Christ one day and He says, well done, that's all that matters. So we boast in Jesus. We boast in Jesus. Christian battling, put on the armor God gives you. Each piece put on with prayer, as the song says. And pray through it all. Pray through it all. Depend on the Lord's strength. Take every thought captive for Christ, putting on the helmet of salvation. Every thought captive for Christ. Change your perspective. Don't value as the, what the world values. And boast in the Lord. He gets all the credit for your life anyway. Folks, we only stand by His grace and His grace alone. So again, I want you to understand this morning. You're in a warfare. And it's not just simply against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in high places. And you need to be ready. And I need to be ready. And you know what? The enemy may not attack you today. He may not attack you this week. 
Oh, he sure, he attacks us all the time in some way. But I mean some of those big attacks may be a while off. You need to ready yourself. You need to equip yourself to be everything that God will help you to be. So when the devil comes against you, you will be strong in the Lord's army to stand. And having done everything, as Ephesians 6 says, to stand. Would you bow with me in prayer, please? As you're bowed, every head bowed, every eye closed. Let me ask you to to really take in that passage in Ephesians 6 about the different pieces of armor. I want you to go home this afternoon and read over that and pray over that. And each one of those pieces of armor. Make a commitment that every day in your life, in your morning devotions. I want to ask you to envision putting on every one of those pieces of armor. The belt of truth. The breastplate of righteousness. Taking up the shield of faith. The helmet of salvation. Shoes shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Put on each piece with prayer. Because you're going out into a world that hates God. Am I speaking to some here this morning? You know there are strongholds in your life. There are some fortresses that need to be torn down. But you don't need to just pull those things down. You need to replace them with God's truth. Taking every thought captive to Christ. Still others need to pray for a different perspective on life. You've been too much about appearances. What do my friends think of me? What do my co-workers think of me? In doing things for appearances... And you've been striving for things that will not last. Would you turn away from that this morning and say, God, help me to let all of that go and live so that all that matters in in my life is, God, what do you want? Help me to truly seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. And then lastly, I just want to remind you, like I spoke of Daniel. The enemy would like nothing more than to strip every aspect of your spiritual heritage away. And for you to become a disciple of the world. Can I challenge you this morning? Don't forget who you really belong to. Your Christ. Purpose in your heart that you will not be defiled. You're going to follow Jesus. Father, we think of warfare. And it's certainly a topic that we would just as soon not talk about. Be a whole lot easier to talk about ease and comfort and peace. And God, I thank you that there's a day coming for the people of God. As Paul says in, second, in 1 Corinthians 2, Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has it even entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love Him. There's a great day coming where we will only know of your peace and comfort in abundance. And we'll be in a place absent of warfare, absence, absent of sin. But Lord, that day is not today. This day is a day for your children to stand strong with the equipment that you give us. And Lord, even in the midst of battles, even in the midst of trials and tribulations, you still give us peace and comfort along the way. You give us strength. Lord, help us not to measure as the world measures. 
but to so live our lives faithfully that we might desire to hear above all one day, well done, good and faithful servant. Speak to hearts about this today. Lord, if there's any right now who need to come to Christ, looking to Him for the first time, trusting Him and Him alone for salvation, I pray that you'd give them strength to come and to to come boldly making a proclamation. Others who might want to become part of a fellowship of fellow Christian soldiers to fight in this battle together because we need each other. Lord, I pray that they would come today. Lord, as we're still before you and quiet, have your perfect way and your will. We ask these things in Jesus' name.